0: Hi, I'm Ken, and I'm an alcoholic. They took away the form Uh, through the through the grace of God, the fellowship of AA, and good sponsorship. I've been sober since July 5th of 1970. And uh, uh, now the 70s were very, very difficult because uh, at that time we had a president in the White House who was under siege, and the presidency was under siege, and Gas prices were skyrocketing, and there was trouble in the Middle East, and and Castro was controlling Cuba. Thank God that's all behind us. You know, like You know.
1: know, uh, 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 uh.
0: I want to thank, uh, Liz and Denny and George and all the folks on the committee for a really great, great weekend. This has been a really, really terrific weekend and all the speakers have been terrific and, and I was thinking of Liz, uh, as I was sitting here, like she puts this together and, and God love her, they work on her for a year and she thinks she's in charge. And, uh, and, uh, and so like Friday night, uh, Carrot is supposed to be here at seven, but she's not here. And they sent a gal to get her who didn't get her the last time, so they sent her again and she didn't get her again, you know? And, uh... So fortunately, Keith and Sue had already arrived, and so Keith slots right in there and does the deal. And then, while he's being congratulated for a great talk after the talk, somebody goes into convulsions. And um, and uh, and then we then we start with Karen's meeting. And Cassie's supposed to read the promises, but she can't find the promises. And uh, so then what happens is everybody's yelling out, she has a book that doesn't match anybody else's book. It's not the big book, and they're yelling, page eighty-three, page eighty-three, and that's not the book she had. You know? So poor kid's turning the pages and you know, and she's got something else. I don't know whether she had a telephone directory or what, but you know it and I thought, boy, this is AA in action. You know, like you know <laughs> this is AA in action. You know, it is it is God love it. It's it's like AA, AA in action. It's uh it's like everybody in here is almost a terrorist. And uh <laughs> And try to be humble, and and try to be non-selfish. I mean, like, uh, it's just an amazing little deal for me. I, uh, I, I was thinking today, cause you have guys who grew up in the country and they caught tadpoles and catfish and cod or whatever the hell they were catching. And, uh, and I'm thinking, I'm from Brooklyn, we didn't do that kind of stuff, you know? And I never used any drugs. I mean, I mean, I have nothing against people who did. I, I'm not like a purist or anything, but I never even smoked a marijuana cigarette. I never did any of that stuff. I never took prescription drugs. Now, now, I know a lot of people did. I just never did. I grew up in an Italian neighborhood, and everybody in that family was family, you know. And we had a simple rule. It was the creed of the neighborhood. If you used drugs or sold drugs outside, it was okay. But if you brought them into the neighborhood and they caught you selling or using, they opened the car door and closed it on your hand. You know? And that was like, we don't do that in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. Sparky. <laughs> you know? And then the next time, let's say you had a little slip. And the next time you did it again, we always figured you moved to Jersey because we never saw you. You know? So, uh... So what happened to Vinny? Hey, I think he moved to Jersey. Know what I mean? You know, he, he's not here, you know? So it was amazing. We had a crime-free neighborhood with crime. We had a drug-free neighborhood with people who sold it everywhere, but not in that neighborhood, you know? And that's the way we grew up. And I can remember as an 11-year-old kid coming down the street, I was on skates. So Those kind of used to tie onto your shoes and skate, you know, like,
1: All right. <laughs>
0: Someday you'll be here and it'll be a lot faster than you think, you know? Uh, you know? Somebody's, I said to somebody on my 60th birthday, all I remember is that when I was 30 I went out for a cup of coffee and a prune Danish. <laughs> and then suddenly I was 60. You know, the coffee wasn't even cool enough to drink, you know, like a boom. But thank God I'm serene. Uh, So the, so the deal, so the deal was is that we just didn't have that kind of stuff in the neighborhood. And, and it was like I grew up in a neighborhood where everybody, everybody was connected. And as I said, I was on these skates and there was a guy, his name was Vito Genovese and at that time he was the capo di capo. He was the guy. And I was skating down the street and the guy said, whoa, he's on the street. And he pointed him out to me and he said, that's Vito Genovese. I didn't know who he was. He says, if he says you're dead, you might as well lay down. You know, like, you know? <laughs> and and so after that, I realized that there were two kinds of people in our neighborhood, those that were connected and those that were dead. You know, like, and so like, it seemed like you wanted to fit in with the people who were connected. So like in school, I started running numbers. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know what numbers is, but that's okay. But it's a deal where my dad was dead. My mom had seven kids. And uh I was the youngest of those seven kids. Now, to show you where my mom was at, she needed a lot of help, God love her. But they had a thing at that time called state relief. And they came to the house and said, since you got all these kids and no husband and you're working as a seamstress in a defense plant, you qualify for state relief. And my mom, God love her, said, we don't need that. Everybody here can work. So that was a mom. So here we are, the only Irish family in an all-Italian neighborhood. You know, I learned to run and fight very young, you know. And the reality of that was, you know, you grew up quickly because if you didn't, you didn't grow up. You know, <laughs> we used to say in the city, you know, when a man with with experience meets a man with money. The guy with the experience will end up with the money, and the guy with the money will end up with an experience. You know, and 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 the deal was is things move very quickly. So, like in school, I was failing school. I was failing math in school. The teachers at that time, I know that you won't believe this, they made about three grand a year. This is now in the early fifties. They were making about three grand, and I was making a hundred bucks a week running numbers, and I was failing math. <laughs> I was making about two grand more than the teacher. You know? And so I realized right away there was like making money and then making money, you know? And and people would say like, if you stay in school you can grow up to be a teacher. Right. Take a cut and pay, you know. <laughs> you know. The logic didn't make any difference. Everything in my life then, even today, doesn't make sense sometimes. You know, I don't know about you guys. But like Today I have things are misnamed. I have a thing in the bottom of my refrigerator. It's called a crisper. It should be called a rotter. You know? You you put something in there. Three weeks later, you're throwing you know, you're throwing it out like. Why the hell would you just take it to the garbage in the first place? You know like that's where it's going to end up, you know? So that's the way I am even today with some stuff, you know? And that's fortunately for me when I come to AA. I need Alcoholics Anonymous today after 30 years more than I did when I was starting out. Because when I was starting out, I just didn't know. But now I know I don't know. That's a whole different area, you know like So what do you know? <laughs> Zero. Or as they say in our area, poquito. You know, I don't know Jack. And so, so the deal was, is that I grew up in this neighborhood with these people, and it seemed to me like school was very secondary, you know. So I got through school totally unscarred by education, you know. know? It seemed like, didn't seem like it was worth a whole lot, you know. I was about 40 years old before I realized that Moby Dick was not a venereal disease. You know, like, just the way it was. You know just, you know, (laughs) but it didn't seem to hurt me, you know, that's why when Tom told the whale story, I paid attention, (laughs) like, I said, I wonder where he's going with this, you know, like, uh. And and the deal is, it's in Alcoholics Anonymous, in the big book, it says, you know, like, if the alcoholic doesn't drink, he tends to act much like other men therefore the main problem of the alcoholic rest in his mind mind rather than his body and, and the reality of that is, is so clear to me today I didn't see that when I first got here but it's so clear to me today anytime I have anybody in AA new or old who wants to refute that I always say look at tradition 2 in the back of the book in the long form tradition 2 in the long form is 22 words in the short form it's 32 you know one of us real Sparky said, Hey, let me patch that up a bit, you know? You know. Let me make it a little bit easier on the newcomer. And that's the way we are. You know, that's just the way our minds run. We we don't know a whole lot. And we think our experience is like everybody else's experience, and it isn't. You know, it's like the two kids who are five years old who were in the hospital. And the one five-year-old looks at the other five-year-old and he says, I'm in here to have my appendix taken out. What are you here for? The second kid says, Oh, he says, I'm here to be circumcised. And the first kid says, Oi, ve!" He said, They did that to me when I was first born and I didn't walk for a year. You know, like you know, <laughs> you know just like this is you know so some one person's experience may not be the other person's experience, you know. And that's why the old timers, you know, they get really good at never answering a question, you know. I mean I had I used to hear people I still do, they say, Oh my sponsor, handheld me through this and you know, I have a great sponsor, but I don't ever remember that hand holding, you know. Hand holding didn't was like verboten, you know, like we didn't do much hand holding. He kind of just said, This is what I do and if you want to do it, follow me around and if you don't want to do it, get somebody else. You know, it wasn't a whole lot of, I don't remember any crosstalk, you, know? you know. I don't remember me, him saying, what do you think about that? You know, and he was, he was at that time in the 70s, Plymouth had come out with a nine passenger station wagon and the back seat looked out the back. And every time I went anywhere with those guys, I always had to sit in that seat. And I said, wait a second, I'm taller than so-and-so, how can, get in the back. And I said to him one time, "Why do you put me back there?" He says, "Maybe you'll catch glimpse of the wreckage of your past. You know, like you know, like, uh, you, know uh, you know, you haven't even read a vision for you yet. So you you sit back there." And the bottom line was is that that's the way things kind of went along. And you know, I, it was it was interesting to me that we just see things differently. We just see things differently. And that's why in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's really good that we have the text we have. Because that text, written by Bill and Bob and the old guys, that that allows you to look at things in a manner that, that works for you. And they don't really tell you in the beginning that a lot of the stuff, these guys were not only spiritual giants, they were so streetwise. They have you doing stuff and you think you're doing it. It's not even your deal. Like, they tell you, like, in the, you know, in the one chapter, it says, lack of power. That's your dilemma. Okay, I got that. Lack of power. That's my... Not... The next one, it says, take this third step. Turn your will and your life over to God. And you want to balk. You know, ah, oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, no, no. You don't have any power anyway. You just read it in the chapter before. So what the hell are you giving up? You know? It's like waking up in the morning and telling the gal next to you, hey, want to share my dreams? What does she get out of it? You know, like... Nothing, you know? It's like, you're giving up stuff you don't even have. And, and for some reason they knew how to do that. Now when I was growing up, I met a lovely gal, and I married her. The only thing was, she was normal. <laughs> she was a normal gal. We had conversations where she was really in reality. And I was like passing through, you know? <laughs> If you're an alcoholic of my type, you're trying to escape from a reality you're not in, you know? You're just passing through, you know. Hey, oh, there he goes, you know. And she would wake me up in the middle of the night and say things like, There's somebody outside. And I said, Good, that's where they belong, outside. That's why That's why there is an outside, you know. If they're If they're prancing around the living room, let me know, you know <laughs> something I'll jump right in there. Another night she says to me, she says, she wakes me up and she says, "I had a dream. You took me to the desert and left me." I said, "Look, let me get some sleep, and I promise to pick you up first thing in the morning. you know I, I uh, you know. We just weren't. And there there was nothing wrong with her. It was always me. There was absolutely nothing wrong with this woman. She was perfectly normal. I remember coming home one time on the subway, and the New York stock market had taken its biggest downturn at that time. And I got in the house. I said, i got to have a couple of shooters and a beer, and I'm drinking. And she said, what's the matter? And I said, the stock market took its biggest downturn. And she said, we don't own any stock.
1: (laughs) You know?
0: I could never get into an argument because I knew intuitively she was right. I didn't even know what intuitively was. But I knew intuitively she was right. She used to have a look that would come over like Is he here? You know? Is any of this real? You know? Do I have a channel changer? You know, like maybe you know, maybe he's just better on the discovery station, you know, like uh where is this guy coming from? And, 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 and we had these conversations over and over. And when I got in with my sponsor, he was just such a good guy. I mean, he was perfect for me. Somebody had a plumber today, I had a plumber. He, this guy was a plumber. And you know, I was just down and I was sharing this, or I think with Keith maybe, but I was down to Jekyll Island in March, and Clancy was there. And he and my sponsor are the same age. They're both 73 years old at that time, I think and clancy i think had 42 or 43 years these guys could tell you but i think it's 43 years now but anyway my sponsor has about 37 years that was the very first conference he was ever to that was in march of 99 that was the very first conference and it was interesting because like clancy i don't think ever missed a conference you know (laughs) and here was my sponsor and he like just was his first one and and People were saying to me, "Like, well, didn't he ever come to a conference?" I said, "No." I said, "He lived in New York." I mean, get that literature from from Brook from uh, from Box Four Five Nine, and look on the back of it, and see if you see things like the Brooklyn Roundup, you know,
1: <laughs>
0: you know, the Bronx Fall Festival, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? You think you're going to get somebody in the Bronx to go over to Brooklyn? No. It's a nighttime deal. I'm out. You know, like uh, you're you're absolutely out of your mind. I'm not leaving here. I'm in my own borough. What do I want to go over there for? You know. And uh, and so the bottom line was is that the that's the way it is in here. They have the one deal. It's called the Bill Wilson Dinner, and they have it at the Waldorf Astoria. At one time, it was a Tux deal, and now you just go basically if you got clothes, you know. <laughs> And the thing is, is that growing up, I saw all these things and nothing made sense to me. When I was a kid, I went to see, somebody was mentioning the movie today, and all the cowboys, I think it was Tom. And, and I went to see Spartacus. Spartacus. And I don't know if you remember the movie, Tony Curtis was in Spartacus. He was a Brooklyn boy. So I'm sitting there as a kid, and I see Tony Curtis go into the tent with Kirk Douglas. And he kneels down on one knee, and he looks at Kirk Douglas, and he goes, Spartacus, Spartacus, I will follow you to the end of the earth. <laughs> and I'm thinking, God, the Roman people talk just like us. You know? Like, you know? They, they have the same language, you know? Like, he could have been from 13th Avenue, you know? like To the end of the earth. You know? So I had a lot of confusion going on. My problem was I observed too much, you know, (laughs) because I just saw things that other people didn't see. And then I would kind of casually bring them up, you know. My mom knew that I was different in some way from the other kids. And she knew that because every time she passed through the room, we had a little 12-inch Admiral TV. And she would say, turn it on. Now, today, most parents say, turn it off. My mom would say, turn it on, don't sit there thinking. You know? Don't sit there thinking. Because she knew that every time I was thinking, I was putting some part of the world in jeopardy. You know, like, I would like, you know, you know, things would just go through my head, like, you know, like if my legs bent the other way, what would chairs look like? You know, like, you know, those kind of flash things, you know, they would just go through there. And like, you didn't want to be telling, people would say, what do you think you know and you didn't want to share because you knew you you didn't want to do the time you know you just didn't want to do the time i was court ordered and as a young man court ordered to a psychiatrist and i remember what he said to me he said and i'll never forget it. he said what's true in your mind is true in its consequence even if it isn't true if your reality is this it is your reality It has absolutely nothing to do with reality, but it's your reality, and you live your whole life like that. The number one belief that any human being has, and that pertains to all of us, is who we see ourselves as. In other words, who am I? And once you've established that in your mind, you look at everything else from the context of that. Everything. And your mind is such that it cooperates with you because it wants to be in charge. (laughs) So it labels things, it explains things, it it makes up different things for you just to make sure that you stay within that context. And what Alcoholics Anonymous did for me and for countless others that I had the pleasure of working with, it it allowed us to shatter the parameters of that make-believe world. If you're going to stay here any amount of time, one of the things you're going to find is you're going to die. That's good. Because you're going to die while you're alive. It's going to be dying on purpose. When you take the steps in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, you die on purpose. Because what you're saying is, the person I came to AA as is doomed to drink. Not only is that person doomed to drink, but that person has no options. But if I can kill that person, I can get to hang out here and be who I really am. I think it was somebody today mentioned being. The biggest step to enlightenment that any person can have is the minute they begin to realize they're not their mind. When you realize you're not your mind, then you've got a big step towards you are enlightened. I go to meetings and I listen to people. I'm a good listener. I had to survive as a listener. You know, I and I take in crap that other people don't notice because I was a street kid, and I survived by knowing who belonged there and who didn't, what car fit, what car didn't fit. And so I got to be a great observer and a great person to take in the breath of what was going on. And what I realized is that I go to a lot of meetings, and I hear people share this over and over and over again, and I'm sure you do too. They'll say things like, my mind waits on the edge of the bed, and when I get up in the morning, it says, "Good morning, Ken. Let's get on with the day. I'm in charge, and I'll tell you what to do." Did you ever hear that? Did you ever hear committees? I got committees in my head. I'm going If you got committees in your head, <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and you're and, and 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 you're listening to that thing like that. Then I don't want to burst your balloon, but it's not your mind. You're its body. You know. You're just a you're just a pull along. You know. And, You're just a pull toy behind it. It's, it's not your mind. And the other thing is, is I have guys who tell, I say, look, the only place you can live is in this now. This now is everything. There is nothing else. What about history, Ken? That's past nows. What about the future? That's future nows. We can only act in this now. We can only live in this now. I even had a guy the other day get real ticked off like the guys today. Almost came to blows. He said, I can't live in the now. I right, said, so let me ask you a question. Where the hell do you think you're living? You know, like, uh, you know, like, uh, I mean, can you breathe in tomorrow? Can you can you snag a breath from yesterday, you know? The only place you can live is the now, and this is the now is where it's gone where the game is played. That's why when you spell now backwards, it's won you've won when you've learned to live in the now you've won and I'll tell you something else why it's so very important. It's not just for fun and it's because that's where God hangs out. God hangs out in the now, and if you're going to meet God, you've got to meet him now. We even say that in the literature. there is one who has all power that one is God when we meet him Thursday.
1: <laughs> no? Mm-hmm.
0: Or oh, maybe last Wednesday, you know? No, no, no. Right in this moment. This is the only place you can meet God. And most of the people I talk to, 80-90% of their day is repetitive thinking. You know, your mind is a tool. It's just like your hand, your eye, you know, your leg. You know, you wouldn't take that shit from your hand. You know? You know? hey, I'm going over there to get a cup of coffee. Not without me, you know? You know? Slick, you know? Stay right here by my side. I got my eye on you, you know? You know? But yet you'll hear people, they'll talk like, you know, I don't know where that all came from. You know, if you walk down the street and some guy was talking out loud, like i got a committee in my head, and they're talking now, and the talking they you know, you would get that guy some incarceration. But if it's going on silently, it just means you should be incarcerated. You know, it shouldn't be happening like that. You know, I see guys, and they, they read the book, and they say things like, and somebody mentioned it today, you know, I think it was Sterling who said, you know, If I keep turning my will and my life over to the care of God, am I to become the hole in the donut? Let me make your day in one area. We are the hole in the donut. You are the hole in the donut. The donut will come and go. The hole will be there forever. You know, like, you know, the hole has always been. It always will be. You know, like you, you you're in good shape. All you got to do is be part of everything and everything is part of you. And the thing is, is we try to separate this stuff out. I hear people say, well I'm gonna do something that's non-AA. What, drink?
1: <laughs>
0: you know? I'm gonna try something new, other than AA, you know? Guy, you know, like, and, and they ask these questions like, well, what do I do when I'm done working the steps? Well that's simple. You, you just, just lay very, very still. Cause you're dead. You know, like, <laughs> you're, you're just gonna just stay right there. Don't worry. Don't move. You're okay, you know. You've exhaled for the last time, you know, like it's alright, you know. Well, well, he's a cult. Well, if it's a cult, don't worry about it. Your first drink, you'll be deprogrammed, you know. Don't worry. You know? Like, don't worry, you know. Don't worry, you know. Alcoholics are scratching shit that don't itch, you know, like, and they're out there, you know, so. It's a full-time job, you know, busy, busy work, busy work, you know. And people just don't, you say, well, here's the deal, you know. To me, I, I see it in broad strokes today. Lack of power is my dilemma. That's what the book tells me. There is one who has all power, so I need to go to that power. And then it says, where do you look for that power? Deep down inside every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of the great reality. It's only there that you can find that stuff. So you've got guys running around like Tibet, you know, I want to go to Kathmandu. I want to go to uh Tibet. I, you know, God is not adverse to indoor plumbing. You know, you can get that stuff right here. You don't have to go and pick up hepatitis to find God. You can, you know, like he hangs out right here. You know, it's right there right now. And the more you try to go in a different direction, the more confusion you're going to have. And you've like, you got to remember that not everybody sees this the same way because you can't see it until you can see it, and you can't hear it until you can hear it. Not everybody is at the same place at the same time. We're spread out all over the path. You know, it's like going out here, as I understand it, on this 275. You can get on 275, and you can start going real fast, 80 miles an hour. And you can go through Indiana, Kentucky, and, and, and Ohio. But you're going to end up right back here because it's a circle. Is that right? So go as fast as you want, and you're going to find out. Hey, I'm right back where I started. What? Uh, you know, Muriel. I'm um, this time. I'm going slower. You know. Uh, you know?
1: <laughs>
0: we have no concept of anything, and yet we're just running around, banging our heads. You know, it's kind of like this kid. You know, he's having trouble with math in school, and the teacher said to him, "I'm going to tutor you a little bit. See if I can't help you." She said, if there's 12 birds and they're sitting on that fence over there and I shoot five of them, how many are left? And the kid goes, none. She said, I know I'm going fast. So (laughs) there are 12 birds on the fence over there. I shoot five. How many are left? None. And she said, how did you get that? He said, well, if you shot five, the other seven would fly away none there'd be none there and she says well you know your, 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 your math is terrible but I really like the way you think you know so he said can I ask you a question and she said sure he says there's three women coming down the street they have an ice cream cone one's sucking it one's licking it and one's biting it which one is the married one She thinks for a moment and says, the one's sucking it. He says, no, the one with the wedding ring. But I really like the way you think. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: that's the way it is. You know,
0: everybody's got their own version of what's going on. It doesn't mean that's what's going on. I like the terminology, the great reality, because to me it covers everything. You know, it's like the word God has become so abused. You know, like I go to meetings, I well, you know, I was couldn't find a parking space, and so God found me a parking space. The God of the parking space. The God of the check in the mail. I needed thirty nine ninety five. I got forty dollars. The God of mail. You know, I'm sure God is hanging out like that. You know, know, God gets a bad rap. He gets a bad rap because we make our own misery and then we need somebody to pin it on. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, the deal here is eventually you learn to be in your own space and you realize I am just who I am and that's who I'm supposed to be. And it's not a whole lot of running around. You know, if you're a rose and you get up in the morning and you decide you want to be a daffodil, It's a long day. You know, it's a long day. You know, you know, you can do a lot of hip, foot, cool stuff, but at the end of the day, you are a rose. You know, you know, and people think that if I go over here and get some more schooling and I get over here and I learn to understand this. And, you know, it says pain is the touchstone of all growth here. Pain. Not the psychological drivel we make up, but pain real pain i didn't know what touchstone was, so I looked it up in the dictionary it 's a stone that you rub things against, you rub gold and silver against, and it tells you how genuine they are i didn't know that a kid who thought Moby Dick was something else I mean i didn't know that kind of stuff and and now I know that there's a different time frame for things, and that just because I think it's this way doesn't mean it's that way if a has taught me anything it's It's probably that there's more than one way to make change for a buck, you know? You may have one way of doing it, he has some other way, but as long as we all agree we have a common solution, that's the deal. And you don't have to adapt yourself to learning a bunch of other stuff. You know, every now and again a wave comes through AA, and it's, I don't know where it comes from, but it it gives off an oh dare, you know? (laughs) And it's like, well, we know, we heard this here, so-and-so wrote this, and the old timers who have been around for a while, they just kind of let it go through. They know, you know, it's its, it's like garbage, you know. It will come around and keep everybody's, ooh, that coming over there. Yeah. And eventually it just goes, because it doesn't work. What works in AA is what works in AA, you know. And and you find out after a while that it's, it's a really simple program. If somebody wants to stop drinking and they were to come here and say, I want to stop drinking, that would be the beginning of stopping drinking. Is that technical? I mean, people say, well, you know, you got to do this, you got to... No, you got to just say, I'm done. Every step here is about surrender. You've got to surrender. We have minds that are synonymous with resistance. We don't have a surrender. I mean, I listen to people and I watch them. It's like I visualize their mind playing tic-tac-toe with them and always going first and taking the middle spot. You now, bing. Okay, let's go fast now. Ah, You lost. You want to try again? I go first. You know? And they do it over and over. It's like being on 275. And somebody will say to them, you don't have to do that anymore. And you know, it's like a, it's like a brash concept. They don't have to do it anymore. And then you get them and you say, look, let's just do what's in this book. Let's just try it for fun. You know, let's just, you know. Let's pretend like it doesn't work at all, but let's just do it, okay? Okay, you know, and so you take them on on practicing these principles in all their affairs, and what gets to happen, and I, I can tell you this from my own experience, is that I'm a slob job. I'm a guy who came down the pike, And I and I don't know where I got most of the ideas I got. I didn't get them from my family. They didn't teach me this stuff. But somehow I got it in my head that if you weren't the lead dog, the view was always the same. So, you know, like, so I started living my life that way. I saw everything as competition. Hello was competition. Goodbye was competition. I shot a kid in high school. I shot him because my nephew was, uh, rather my cousin wanted to take a girl to the dance and this guy was going to take him to the dance and I had lost some money gambling and I didn't know how I was going to make it up. And he said, you got to help me with this. So I just walked across the street, took a 38 I had and fired it around in the guy's thigh. And I knew he couldn't dance that. And, and, and he looked at me and said, why would you do that? I said, I haven't got time to talk to you. You know, cause I had to get back to figure out what was going on with me. Now, he bled a little bit and drew some police. You know, you, there are certain things you just can't do, even in Brooklyn. You know, like uh, you know, like people just say, well, you know, what, what's going on? I mean, I, every time I tell the story, I only tell it like when someone's here. Mary Pearl was at a convention, and I was at a convention in San Diego. And the guy who was, I was a Sunday morning speaker, and the guy who was chairman of the convention said, there's a guy back there who knows you. He's got 30 days sobriety. Remember that, Mary Pearl? And I said, who is it? And the guy said, this guy so I went back and he said remember the last time you saw me the last time I had seen that guy I had a gun in his mouth a gun in his mouth I had a 38 he was older than me he was going to rob me of the money I had from collecting for numbers he another guy so I took this 38 out and I just shoved it in his face and his mouth opened and he had this barrel in his mouth and you know how they say Sunday morning the spiritual speaker <laughs> And this guy said to me, you know, Ken, this thing may work. He said, if you're the spiritual speaker, this thing may work. And so they introduced me like George George did tonight. And they said, oh, he'll make you laugh. When I got up, I couldn't laugh. There's a lot of things that I did that just were not funny. And had they gone a little bit different, you would have a different speaker here tonight. And the reality of that was... I I realized how many times in my life my own stupidity, no one else's, my own stupidity put me in scenarios. I was in a jackpot, and that jackpot was of my own making. And I had no thought of what comes next. One of my favorite movies is Cool Hand Luke. And people say, why do you like that movie? I said, because there's a scene at the end where he steals a truck and he takes off, and George Kennedy goes with him, and he says, what's the plan? And... Paul Newman looks at him and says, I never made a plan in my life, you know, and I never did. I had no idea what I was going to do. I was good at getting something started, you know, like, let's go do this. Well, what comes next? What do you mean next? There is no next. You know, let's get started first and we'll work it out. You know, it's like downhill swallowing. You know, once you get started, you kind of build up speed, you know, and you get louder and rougher. You know, that seems to be the deal. And so when I when I got here and my sponsor said to me things like, you're going to have to do a complete turnaround, you know, of your life. I didn't know what that meant, but I knew from watching him interact with his family. I wasn't with my family. They had moved away. They had had all of me they needed. I was in the jack, I'd already been indicted by the grand jury for the second time. I was like I was not in a great place. I was not on a winning streak when I came to AA. And the bottom line was, is that things just happen. I call them AA stuff. I don't like the word miracle because the word miracle kind of scares people. But I was traveling with a guy who was 90 days sober. And the only reason I was traveling with him, is he had a Cadillac. And at that time, that was the status symbol. And I traveled with guys who had Cadillacs because I wanted to be status. I had about six cents to my name. But I had status. No job. Unemployable. Family gone, you know. And I was I went to this meeting with this guy and he used to take me around, pick me up. And I liked that the neighbors seeing me get dropped off with a Cadillac. I was living with my mom in a senior citizen home. <laughs> I had been there so long I could use the walker, you know, like I I was beginning to think I belonged there, you know, like uh so anyway the bottom line was is we we did this thing and finally I had to go in for this deal and, and uh and they said you gotta go see the uh you gotta go see the DA so I went to see the DA. Now, New York is a small area. You know, like maybe 10, 12 million people. DA's office is fairly small, maybe four or 500 DAs. And I went in and I walked in and here's this guy I've been going to meetings with. He's sitting behind the desk and he's looking at this file and he looks at me. And he says, I didn't know you did this. I said, I sure as hell didn't know you did this. <laughs> when we were riding around sharing, you know, like... Uh, and so he said, he said, I'm going to transfer the case to somebody else unless, unless you tell me you did it. If you say you didn't do it and you're going to fight it, then I don't want to be the guy to, I don't want to put you in the sneezer. So I kind of just at first had that blush of rigorous honesty and said, no way, you know,
1: I didn't tell you that stuff, you know.
0: And then I started to, uh, I watched him get up and he was going to leave and, and then I said, yeah, I did. And I worked that thing out financially because it was all money and I paid every month on that thing for 20 years first 20 years I was sober I paid every month I took money that should have been going elsewhere and sent it to this place and the bottom line of that was that I learned what they talked about in the 11th step where it says you need discipline I had no discipline in my life I thought discipline was a whole different thing than what it is if you look up the word discipline it says to make easy make easy is what discipline is It cuts out a lot of these crazy options we have you know shooting guys and running and doing dopey things you know and that's that's not discipline you know discipline is discipline and so I did this deal and uh, and the end result was is that I I stayed in AA and I kept going to meetings and I got to do a 12-step call on that same district attorney he went out and drank again and I went to do the 12-step call on him because I was two years sober at the time and life is like different deal today I I I could tell you miracles that have happened to me over and over and over again. But again, that's the story of AA. They're not unique to me. They're unique to all of us. And most of the time, we just don't even know what's going on. You know, I heard Mary Pearl share about her, her sister in that scenario. When my son was dying, it seemed as though AA just came alive around me. A bunch of folks just started showing up at my house and doing stuff. And... And my son went through that period of dying and then he died after about three months. And it was a tough thing and I got to meet my, my wife, my ex-wife started coming to my house. And I got to meet my husband-in-law. And, you know, like, (laughs) it's amazing what happens when you're sober. And they were in my kitchen and they, when they were, and, and I remember my son, God love him, he, you know, he, he died of AIDS and it was a terrible death because the, it comes in a different uniform every day. And, and I was in his room and we were packing him with ice and his fever was spiking out and it was like two in the morning and finally it broke. And he looked up and his mom was there and I was there and, and at the, at the bottom of the bed and, and he had a great sense of humor because he looked, he said, my God, he says, I must be having some kind of a tremor or something. He said, I'm looking at a nuclear family, you know, like, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, and you know, we took him to hospice and that's where he died and I had volunteered in hospice. And I, when I went there as a volunteer in 83, I never thought in 93, 10 years later, I'd be in that hospice watching my son die. And I remember him when they took him off all the medication. And and it was like it was a scenario where he, he rolled his head over and he came awake. And it was like the medication, I guess, was out of his system. And he had like a window there of about 45 minutes. And he looked at me and wanted to know, Dad, where am I? And I said, you're in the hospice. And he knew where that was. And a tear came down his eyes. And he rolled his head over to the one side of the pillow. And when he rolled his head back, I witnessed what that saying was, where it says, you are in the world, but not of the world. He was in the world, but he sure as hell wasn't of this world. And he looked at me, and he winked, and he said, I'm good to go, Dad. I'm good to go. Everything's okay. You take care of yourself. I'm good to go. And you know, from that point forward till today... I worked very diligently at being good to go myself. Good to go myself. And I can tell you tonight, I'm good to go. I'm good to go any time. Because I cleared up this wreckage. I cleared away this stuff. I made these amends. I did everything that the big book talked about to the best of my ability. And the end result is, is I have a life that I never knew could exist before. And I have a lot of fun doing it. I mean, I have guys coming by my house from bikers to Muslims. You know, I mean, it's amazing. I have—I a I was uh, the other night, uh, a guy stopped by and he, he comes by to watch Monday night football after work. And he's a Muslim and he's got to do his prayer before the sun goes down. So he's in the bedroom and a doorbell rings and I go to the door and it's a new guy. And he said, my sponsor sent me over he said, to talk to you about God. I said, well, come on in. He said, I know it's football night. Do you have time? I said, yeah, we have time. So he comes in, sits down and all of a sudden out of the bedroom, we hear, whoa!
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa! And he
0: said, what the hell is that? I said, oh, that's Sam doing his third step, you know? Like, uh, you know? And, and the bottom line is, is that, you know, you just don't know who you're gonna meet. You know, you get to meet all kinds of people under all kinds of circumstances. And, and, uh, and Keith knows some of the guys that, one of them had Keith as a sponsor for a while until it was too far to him to go, but he comes to me and then, these guys are like crazy. There was a time I was sponsoring three guys and between them they killed eight guys. And they were just, you know, they were just talking to you like, yeah, well, yeah, it was a bad deal, went bad, you know. You know? So what'd you do? I just shot him. And what happened? Well, the other guy came, so, you know, I just couldn't let him go. He was a witness, you know. And then, and now you see these guys, they're like saying things like, now, when I, when I ask God to come into my life, now how do I, do it? And then, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. It's, 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 Alcoholics Anonymous is so simple that if you blink, you miss it. That's how, that's how simple it is. You know, you read all these lines. It's like Bill when he talked about being in front of the cathedral there. And he said, for a
1: brief moment,
0: brief moment, I had needed and wanted God. And I humbly asked him to come into my life. And he did. But he was soon blotted out, blotted out by worldly clamor, most of which was within myself. Now, if you look up that word clamor, you'll see noise. Noise constant noise and today it's reached the point where we now have to announce at aa meetings turn off beepers turn off phones turn off vibrators do you know turn off all this stuff we become so techno barbaric it's scary it's scary because the distractions keep multiplying and the distractions take you away from the simplicity that either god is everything or he's nothing either he is or he isn't And we get caught up in all this other nonsense. Guy says to me, give me your email. I don't have an email. Why? Because I don't have a computer. Call me on your cell phone. I don't have a cell phone. Why? Because I just don't need one, you know. When I'm in my car, I'm in my car. When do we become so important that we can't be 10 minutes away from a phone? You know? The guy the other night in the restaurant says he's conducting business while I'm trying to eat a little bit of chili. I said to him, excuse me, you're going to do that long? He said, I'm not smoking. (laughs) So as Mary Pearl said, you got to let the action kind of just go by that you're thinking about, you know. That guy would have been introduced to a napkin holder real fast at one time. But I said to him, "Uh, I realize that, but you're making a lot of noise. And he said, that's my right. So there's not a whole lot you can do with that. So I turned around, thought about it, turned back and started singing America. God bless America. Land that I love. Stand beside her. He said, whoa, whoa, I can't hear. I said, hey, I'm just enforcing my rights, you know? Like, you know? You know? If you got them, I must got them, you know what I mean? Do you ever think of moving to Jersey, you know? Uh, you know? And the deal is, is that, you know, you can have a lot of fun here, you know. And if you're not having a lot of fun, you're missing out on the deal. I mean, because, you know, people say, well, it's, it's too serious, you know. Well, you know, you might as well laugh at you because other people are. You know, like, you know, you might as well just have some good times, you know. And when you get six or eight or ten people together, it's like amazing. You know, I don't want to pick on George, but she had some dental surgery. Husband's back there laughing, and, and she couldn't talk. So she called to see if I needed anything two weeks ago, before, a week last week, before I came out. So I come home and I'm picking up my messages, and I want it from this little slob job down there at the, the dryout place. And then my next message is George, and it goes something like this. <laughs> And then she ends with my help. (laughs) You know, it was like a scene from The Elephant Man. You know, like a, you know, I'm an animal.
1: You know, I'm a human being. You know. (laughs) You know.
0: (laughs) And yet, I knew what she was trying to say, and what she was really trying to say is. If anything should change, please don't hesitate to call me. And if you need my help, I mean, I knew what she was saying. That's what she was saying. It just came You know, it's like Sam in the bedroom. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You you just don't notice a lot of noise goes around, you know. And the nice part about it is it all serves a purpose, good purpose. And you get to have a lot of fun, you know. I go to meetings where we laugh about stuff, and it starts out that everybody's hysterical, and we have no idea what we're laughing about. It starts out as a ripple, and next thing you know, it's a gag, and the next thing you know, it's going on. I have a guy who gave me a check. He's a new guy, and he says, uh, well, this is a post-dated check, so I'm going to give you a post. Can you do that? I said, sure. You know, it's not for a lot of money. I'll do it. And of course, the check was no good. So I take it to the bank, and we're playing this game at the bank. I said, can you check that account? See if it's any good. Check that account. So after about a month, he calls me and says, I got the money. Can I swing by and pick up that check? And I said, sure. So he comes through the door, and unbeknownst to him, I had taken that check. And I took those one of those black markers that you use to mark clothes. And on the back of it, I made it look like I tried to deposit it on different dates. And I put, like, nine, twelve. You've got to be kidding me. 9:15. No money in this account. 9:18. <laughs> you know, ah, oh, come on, you know, like, <laughs> you know. And I did the whole thing. So I gave him the check. He gives me the cash, and he leaves. He says, "I'm sorry to hang you up like that." I said, "Sure." And done. he leaves. And of course, he, before he gets to his car, he sees it. He comes back in, and he's laughing. So he called me the other day. He says, "I laminated that and put it in my big book as a marker." You know, like you know. He says, "Anytime I think I'm just cruising, I'll kind of look at it." You know, like. And and that's the deal. You have a lot of fun because it's supposed to be a lot of fun. You know, it talks in the big book about being happy, joyous, and free. And and the nice thing about being happy, joyous, and free is you can make your mind up to do that any time you want. Just decide that, hey, I'm not going to do it the other way anymore. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I'm going to try to do it this way. And you get to be positive about everything. I picked a car up on a Friday, an SUV. I never owned an SUV. I get home Monday, I get a call. The tires are no good. They're recalling tires on a car just picked up Friday. So I call the guy, and the number they gave me, and the guy says, well, you got those tires, and Firestone. And he says, is there anything you want to say? I said, yeah, thank God they don't make a blimp. You know? You know, like... uh, You know, I live down by the stadium. It could be hazardous, you know, like, you know, you got to learn to go with the flow because as you heard that the theme of this weekend for me has been listening to person after person share is just because you're sober doesn't mean that life goes away. Life is everything that you heard over the weekend. And it's all predicated on love. And love is the strongest force in the world. There's no force stronger than love. And you know you hear about two people walking around with weapons, and now they're now they're kissy kissy huggy huggy, you know like and you and you Karen sharing about running around nude, and now she's partially stressed, you know like and uh, and so it's like that's the way it goes, you know uh, and and like Tom didn't think he could be here, and he got stronger as he talked, you know, like uh we don't know what's going on, so don't pretend to know what's going on because nobody else knows. Somehow, people got the idea that there's a select few that know. The old time is no. They don't know. They just know they don't know. You know, so they get here like going in a direction. You know, they could care less. They say things. You know, like I do that now myself. You know, I don't remember if my, some of you remember John Madden, but John Madden was coaching the Oakland Raiders. He used to say that right before they went out at the halftime, he used to look at the team and say, "This half." Let's forget, let's forget the mule and just load the wagon. And the guys were, Arr! And they'd go out and they'd play great ball. Winning his record during that time of period he coached. He said, guys were going to the Hall of Fame saying, coach, what does it mean now? You know, like I'm, you know, now that I, now that I'm not playing, what does it mean? He didn't know. He just heard it. Made, made, good. Got guys riled up. You know, their adrenaline got going, you know. And now I just say that to guys. I say things like, you know, Ken, like, what's going on? I said, whoa, 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 Just remember the fish in the sea are not thirsty. And I go over here. And then you see two guys over there who between them have an IQ of a, of a, of a buckeye. And one saying the other, you think that applies to the streams and the, uh, and the rivers or is it just the ocean, you know? You know? You know? So now the guys have gotten onto that. So now I got a new one. I I just started laying on them about two, three weeks ago. I just say, remember, the fish see the ocean, but but they don't know it. The ocean knows the fish, but can't see them. Now I go get a cup of coffee.
1: You know?
0: It's like lobbing a fragmentation grenade into into a small group. They don't have a clue, but nobody will say, I don't think he knows what the hell he's talking about. (laughs) And I don't. You know, (laughs) That's the deal. But it's good to come to these things because I love to hear people laugh, and as I like to say, I know something about laughter that most people don't know, and that is you cannot laugh and think at the same time. So the more you laugh, the less you're thinking. And God knows if you be an alcoholic of my type, you need to break. You know, like you need to break. You know, you need the respite, you know, most definitely. And the deal here is don't, don't worry about what you don't know because nobody else does either, you know. Just do what's right in that book and follow it. You know, when I was in, when I was in New York, I had a chance to hear Malcolm X talk one day and I heard him, ter- heard, heard him speak several times, but this particular day he said something that always resonates with me and it's, it's about life basically. What he said is it's, it's not a, it's not about what people call you. It's what you answer to. It's what you answer to. And if you're an alcoholic of my type, you don't have to answer to, to stupid things. You know, you don't have to. There's enough reality to answer to. The book talks about enough reality, and you got to pay close attention because, like Bill said, we, you know, he had a he had a brief he had a brief moment. And in the and in the 11th step and the 12th 12, 12 it says you'll get a glimpse if you're lucky. You'll get a glimpse. And you hear people talk about a moment of clarity. This is not big stuff. This is not big stuff. And while you're trying to form, let me give you a parting shot here. While you're trying to form that image of who you are, just remember what the literature says. You're an outright mental defective. (laughs) You are in full flight from reality. You are delusional. You're a child of chaos. You're a producer of confusion. You are badly mangled. And within that, you're gonna say, hey, I'm gonna be a healthy guy. Healthy guy. You wouldn't know health if it mugged you, you know? If it came up behind you and pushed you into a veggie patch, you wouldn't know health. But the thing is, and that's why we do the spiritual stuff here, because if you look inside that word spiritual, You'll see the most important word in AA as far as I'm concerned. And that's the word ritual. And we have a ritual here. And if you follow that ritual, it will sustain you. AA was never designed to get anybody over anything. It was not designed for that. But it sure as hell was designed to get you through stuff. And you get through one day at a time. One moment. This moment to the next moment. Don't worry about when you're 87 or 62 or whatever the thing is, you know, don't be a professional waiter. People in AA sometimes get stuck at being professional waiters. They're waiting for some event where something wonderful is going to happen, or they're waiting for some event where something's going to go out of their life that's going to make it so different. This is your life. You may not have it tomorrow. This could be the deal right now. Uh Karen knows that the last year at this time, we had a young guy in our group, and and he and he came down with that he had been suffering from Lou Gehrig's disease. And people just surrounded that guy. 32. No one figured this kid was going to check out at 32. But he checked out. And I remember him going up to the Pacific Group every week. And a bunch of those folks came down to celebrate his birthday. And he wanted me to go see him in hospice. I did not want to go to hospice. I had had my full of hospice. But I went. And he, out of 22 rooms in that facility, he was in the same room my son died in. And I got to be there with him as he went through his last deal. And the bottom line is, is that this thing is too important to postpone. Don't confuse situations in your life with your life. Your life is your life. You know, when you look at a parking lot and you see speed bumps, that's not the parking lot. The speed bumps are not the parking lot. The parking lot is the parking lot. You know? And don't get confused on that. People when I was a child, who gives who cares? You know? You know? But my mu yeah, she's dead, you know. They're all dead. The characters are dying out of the play. They're all gone. You know, get a new program, you know? That program's dead. Now one of the cast is alive. You know. Get on with your life and have some fun. And remember that this is the whole deal. This is the whole enchilada. And I I am so glad that I I got to come here. I am so glad. This has been a great weekend. I got to hang out with some really, really sick people. And I love sick people. I really do. I love them. I loved all the speakers. And and you're going to hear a great one tomorrow with Keith. And, And, you know, one of the things I learned here, it took a while, I must say it took me much longer than I'd like to admit to, is that. I always kind of thought even AA was competition. I thought it was. I used to get caught up in the fact that we were competing for something. I don't know what the hell I thought. But it was a bad thought. It's a useless thought. This is about every person coming here and doing what they need to do. And, you know, it's a simple program. If you can help, you help. And if you can't help, stay out of the way, you know. And don't worry about what it looks like they're doing. You don't even know what you're doing. So don't worry about them. They know they'll, they're all God's kids and it will kind of work out. You know? And there are certain things like God, you know, kind of solidifies us. It's like when you go into a bank and you don't know anything about banking, the minute you go shh, shh everybody knows why you're there. You know? <laughs> it's kind of like universal, you know? Intuitive. You know, everybody knows, hey, we we know why you're here, you know? <laughs> and that's what and that's what the spiritual thing here is, is that when you're here, you just realize you're here. I I I I thank AA for everything I have. It's not only given me a lot of extra years, it's given me a lot of life in those years. It's given me enough time to see what a complete phony I was when I got here. And for a long time in the sobriety. For a long time in the sobriety, because I just didn't know that I just didn't know. And then all of a sudden, when I started seeing people die around me, a lot of people, I buried a couple of sisters, a brother, a mother and stuff, all in like a year cycle. I know that this thing is too important to waste. You know, it's just too important to waste. So I want to let I want to thank you for letting me come. I want to thank George and and you know, as George would probably say, an ending. <laughs> <laughs> which means I love you very much and I'm really glad you invited me and a guy who I love very much who's passed away now used to come to my house and whenever he entered my house and left he was a Hindu he used to put his hands together and say Namaste again and Namaste means the God in you sees the God in me and if we can see the God in each other what will happen is we are one God bless you